Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. In the U.S., the Christmas season kind of unofficially, officially starts the Friday after Thanksgiving. In Germany, the Christmas season starts in coordination with Advent. And you might know that the first Advent Sunday is this Sunday, November 28th. And you may know, if you've been following the show for a while, that something very special happens on the show around Advent time. Two years ago, it was Fegapodfo. One year ago, it was Segapodfo. This year, it's Thregapodfo. What the heck am I saying, you may ask? Let me break it down for you. Two years ago, it was the first ever Germany Expat Podcasters Advent Donation Face-Off. If you take all those letters together, it becomes Fegapadfo. Last year, it was the second ever Germany Expat Podcasters Advent Donation Face-Off. Segapadfo for short. And this year, it is the third ever Germany Expat Podcasters Advent Donation Face-Off. Thregapadfo. Okay, you might still be asking what the heck that is. <laughs> Basically, every year I compete against Sean of the Germany Experience, who is my rival podcaster, to see who can raise more money for a charity of our choice. Sean is from South Africa living in Germany, I'm from the US and living in Germany, and we both feel like we are very, very lucky to have found ourselves in this wonderful country, and we feel like the country and its people provide so much richness and value to our lives. And we want to be able to give some of it back. We believe that a lot of our listeners are also foreigners probably living in Germany who also might feel the same way. Like they also want to give thanks and give back to the German community. So this year we're going to be raising money for Kinderlachen, which is an organization that helps children in need across Germany. I'm not going to say too much more right now because the project officially launches this weekend and this year, my updates are going to be coming in the intro of my episodes. So last year, I was actually still in a podcast break over this time of year. So I put out extra episodes just about Segapodfo. This year for Thregapodfo, it's going to be coming out in tandem with my episodes. So in my intro next week, you'll hear more about Kinderlachen and you'll find a link where you can donate. And the fun and games will begin because if you remember Vegapadfo or Segapadfo, you remember that this time of year is a lot of trash talking. I'm like a really great trash talker and I like say all this stuff about Sean and how awful him and his show are and, you know, stuff that like tough and like mean people say. It's the kind of stuff that I say too, you know? So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And uh, along the way, Sean and I do different challenges that we set for each other to get you guys amped up, to get you guys donating. So I'm pretty pumped about Thrigapodfo. Fun and games will be coming your way this Advent season. But for now, let us dive into this week's episode with Simon and Nick from the podcast Decades From Home. Enjoy! My name's Nick Houghton. I've been living in Germany for 10 years. And I currently live in Augsburg. And where are you from originally? Oh, Newcastle upon Tyne. Nice, cool. And Simon. And my name's Simon Maddox. Uh, I am from Guildford in Surrey in southern England. And I live in Nuremberg, or Nuremberg, uh, to use the English pronunciation. And I moved here in 2010. 
And you guys know each other because England's just this tiny island and everyone knows each other, right? Yeah, yeah. We're just like we're next door neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Are we going to tell the um, the business card story? Side? We have to tell the business card story. Yeah. That's how we met. <laughs> okay. I want the cutest version of your how you met story. Oh, well, Simon can tell the cute version and I can tell the, 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 the frank and honest version. So, Simon, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell the listeners? So when I first moved to Nuremberg, I... I saw an English pub and I said to myself, I'm never going to go there because I've come to Germany and I don't want to go to an English pub. Eventually, my arm was twisted enough that I went there. And one night when England were playing football, uh, I noticed a uh, interesting looking fellow in an England shirt. And not many people wear England shirts here to watch the football. And it was Nick. We got chatting, had a few beers, watched the football together. And at the end of a really good couple of hours, he gave me his business card. And... uh, (laughs) That was a really weird moment. No one had ever done that to me in a pub environment before. And that was the start of a really beautiful bromance. And you still have the card, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do you? Do you, Simon? Do you still have the card? I I probably do. I can't think where it is. Maybe I got rid of it somewhere along the line. I do have your details beyond your business card. See, I remember (laughs) the story totally differently. I don't remember wearing an England top. I'm sure I was wearing a suit when I met you. We were watching England. It was 2012, so it would have been the European Championships. And you wear a suit to such an occasion? No, I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, I was, I was. Yeah, I was. I was. I had to wear a suit because they were going to play "God Save the Queen," and we all had to show respect. No, um, <laughs> I think I was just. I just finished work, and I was in that phase of work. It was like the first proper job after university, where I didn't really know what I was doing. So it, to to negate that reality I decided to wear a suit because that made me look like I knew what I was doing so you know <laughs> that's that's how it worked and yeah, I do remember giving him a business card but I tried to forget that but Simon will never let me forget that <laughs> no I, I think it's a really nice story and I mean yeah I, I could be wrong my we've been drinking that day that's for sure so my memory mm-hmm. of what you're wearing is definitely mm-hmm. not too reliable but yeah I can imagine you wearing a nice little vest as well and your suit <laughs> that sounds pulling out like. your top pocket yeah. Wa- waistcoat please waistcoat <laughs> Sorry. um that is a very good how you met story actually I don't know what I was expecting but I think because you guys have a podcast more recently I thought it was a more recent story but this is quite a long haul friendship mm-hmm. then at this point mm-hmm. yeah we, we've been yeah th- through quite a bit uh, Nick was one of my best men at my wedding yeah I didn't reciprocate. He wasn't a best man in my <laughs> You did say that I, the thought had entered your mind, and that was good enough for me. If, the problem the problem of having three older brothers is you can't really not have your older brothers as your, as your best man. But, I mean, given, given the choice uh, of, of anyone, Simon would have been my best man. Oh, bless yes. your heart. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and this brings me to one question to get some background on you guys before we dive into the topic, which is... How did you guys both end up in Germany? And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, I think the marriages are relevant there. Or didn't you guys both move for love? I did. I think I've already told my story probably to varying degrees, but Simon's Simon's is a bit different from mine. Yeah, so I was actually born here. Uh, My dad served in the the British forces, so I was born in North Germany. And the first time I actually ever lived in the UK was when I was four, uh, when we moved back. And then my father continued to work here until I was about 13, 14 years old. So pretty much every holiday I'd come over. Uh, but it was always to the north, places like Zeller, Hanover, Osnabrück, Paderborn, uh, where all the British army soldiers were based. 
And then I had no reason to come back to Germany, didn't really have that much involvement. I did A-level German and during my school trip, my final year, we came to Bavaria uh, and that was my first ever time in Nuremberg. And then years later, I'd come back from traveling in South America. I needed a job as an English teacher. I was looking at Italy and Spain and didn't really have many good opportunities there and decided, okay, I'll open up the search parameters and include Germany. Saw a job in Nuremberg. I was like, okay, I've been to that city. Should be all right. I did a telephone interview the next day. And three days later, I was teaching in a small office room at a factory in Rottenburg up to Tauber. Huh. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up here. I thought it would be a year and it's been 10. <laughs> that's a, the least scenic thing I've ever heard of happening in Rottenburg because this is a famous little village for being so picturesque, classic <laughs> Germany, but you were in the back corner of a factory teaching. Yeah, Electrolux. Uh, it's, it's a nice little factory there, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely not not on the tourist trail if you do visit that beautiful town. Cool. Okay. And, and Nick, the bullet point version of yours in case someone hasn't heard it before. It's the greatest, most romantic story ever told. <laughs> Uh, abridged version, I guess, is I met my wife at university. She was doing Erasmus. Uh, we dated long distance for around four years. And then as I was coming to the end of my master's, my tutor basically said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I, I don't know, maybe I'll go to Japan or China. And he's like, your, your girlfriend's German, isn't she? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, why don't you just move to Germany? <laughs> I was like, all oh, right, yeah. I honestly hadn't considered it, hadn't considered it at all. And because I was studying East Asian history, so I thought that would be where I would end up. I think within about three hours, I decided I wanted to do it, called my wife or then girlfriend, said I'm going to move to Germany. She lost her mind with with excitement, not with sadness. <laughs> and she lost her mind, was like dead excited by it. And then, yeah, I think in about in around about two or three months, I was on a flight with all all of my things that I owned in the bag and uh, yeah that was that was 2011 so happy 10 years oh thank you very much <laughs> no no one bothered to make me a bloody cake but you know it's frankly rude Angie's a little distracted right now though she's packing up her things so otherwise I'm sure she would bake her best apple cake and deliver it to you personally <laughs> I'm not sure Do you reckon Angela Merkel knows how to make an apple cake I have a feeling that she she, she, she knows she knows she knows how to categorize the ingredients but probably doesn't know how to put them all together <laughs> is this do i smell a transition to start talking about <laughs> maybe Ooh. maybe you do <laughs> okay because i mentioned you guys have a podcast so tell me a little bit about your podcast and why are we here to talk about media today why does that make sense <laughs> So we started the podcast just over a year ago and yeah, it's called Decades From Home and the tagline we use is we look at the weird and wonderful sides of living in Germany from the perspective of two non-Germans. That's the, the essence of the show and we look at news stories that feature in the press. Uh, so this is a nice little segue into the media section later and we talk about them from our perspective. We've done our best to avoid talking about some of the sort of grimmer topics. Mm. So we we said from the off we weren't going to talk about Brexit. We weren't going to talk about COVID. Broke and, those rules. <laughs> yeah, we have broken those rules now. And we weren't going to talk directly about the Third Reich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We try and avoid that. <laughs> we've, we've done our... We've, we're trying. We're trying very hard not to bring it up. There's a lot of relevance every now and again. Um, sure, so, sure. Yeah. 
th- indirect I, though sounds like it meets your qu- criteria so yes there i think go. it i think initially it was i was a way of keeping sane in lockdown i think both of us had been so frustrated by by brexit and all this stuff that had been going on in in british politics and we were so angry about it but also very aware of how little influence we had over any anything at all <laughs> i think that right. was what the realization was and we just wanted to talk about like why it's why germany's a great place to live the stuff that's funny about it mm. the this you hear a lot of podcasts about the politics so you hear a lot of podcasts about sort of food culture and we just wanted to talk about everything and and have a space where if you're interested in germany or you want to know some of the the sort of stranger parts or the funny stories that happen week to week uh, the general experience, then you can go, you can go to decades from home. We've got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a really fun mixture because, actually, for me, so my day job is as a librarian, and I work specifically with magazines and newspapers. So I'm, uh, I want to say I'm fairly up to date with German current events. But I, I, it's so funny. It's so hypocritical. I do exactly the thing that I teach people they shouldn't do. You should not just read headlines and get your news from headlines. I kind of do that. But in my defense, it's my job because I have to know the headlines to be um, skimming articles and putting the relevant information into a catalog. Mm. And if I actually sat and read the entire Spiegel every week or Focus every week, these are big magazines that come out weekly about news topics. I I mean, I can't read them cover to cover. I I can't even read a full article because it's not what I'm getting paid to do. So Mm. I have to get the information out just by doing a quick overview. So that's my defense. But um, sort of the side effect is I'm somewhat aware of a lot of things and not deeply knowledgeable about most of it. But I notice with my other foreign friends, most of them have very little working understanding of the political structure or current events here. But the reason is because they can't vote. So they can't really do much of anything about it, even if they do know about it. And it's super disenfranchising for them. And honestly, for myself as well, I also can't vote. And so part of why I don't delve into the topics more passionately is is because of that. So anyway, um, I with my my <laughs> what do the Germans call it? The, the dangerous half knowledge. Um, it's fed very nicely by listening to you guys talk about some of the current events um, because I don't really have those discussions elsewhere. We know enough to talk about the topics, and I think I became far more interested in politics once I became a, a German citizen. Uh, but I, I'm a politics geek, so I, I like I like politics, and I like sort of learning about how systems function and how sort of politics functions at, at, at various different levels. But um, I think a lot of it. I mean, I write a blog, but so that keeps us in tune with certain cultural things. But I'm not spending. I, I have no time to read Süddeutsche Zeitung cover to cover or like I, I pick on different stories I'll skim the headlines and see what I'm interested in and I'll read something about it but oh I listen to Deutschland Radio Funk in the morning and get a general sense of what's what's going on but there's stuff that I'll hear about and I'm like how did I not know about that and there'll be stories that I wish I knew more about um actually I don't I don't know how Simon does it like I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you do Simon does the script for the podcast so I'm guessing Simon has a bit more bit more reading experience than I do. But. Well, I mean, we're not experts and we're, we're definitely we're no, no. out along the way. Like we, we don't know a huge amount about lots of things we talk about. So there's very much a learning experience as we go. 
Um, and I think that makes it interesting because, yeah, we're not going to preach from a position of expertise. It's much more like this is how this has affected our experience and what we, how we feel about it. And, yeah, that sort of gives us a certain flexibility um, because, yeah, we're just talking about what we see and feel about these things. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to politics, there are definitely better podcasts to learn <laughs> about the intricacies of these things because it is hugely complex. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But, yeah, in our most recent episode, we did speak about politics and the structure of the Bundestag in terms of educational standards. So there is there are things that we, we consider interesting that aren't pure politics. But, yeah, as I said, we try to make it a, a safe and positive space and delving into sort of the voting habits of people in Sachsen-Anhalt isn't something that a lot of people want to tune in for. I think they're much more interested in sort of a gentle overview um, of something that's interesting that's happening in that realm as opposed to being taught. Uh, We're not the people to do that, and we know that. (laughs) And so we're... um... Nick mentioned radio and sort of online finding things here and there. Where are you going to get your news and find these topics? I mean, one of the challenges, I guess, with Germany is that the media is very, it's a very different landscape than it is in the UK. Obviously, we have the same sort of breadth of left and and right wing and stuff, but there seems to be more of a focus on like funny stories uh, in the British press, the idea of we're going to hit you with five really miserable stories, but then, and finally, a donkey has done something interesting in Blackpool. And those stories are really part of the, the press. And in Germany, those are really hard to find. And that's been the biggest struggle I find because there are lots of really interesting topics, but they're quite serious a lot of the time. And to mm-hmm. find something that's got a, a twist of humour, which is really where we find we work best, uh, is the sort of the weird and wonderful. Uh, those can be harder to find. So I, I am reliant on on local news much more. So I, I read Nordbayern.de uh, pretty regularly because that has local stories to my area. Um, but then Twitter and things like Associated Press and the British Press every now and again will talk about Germany as well. So there are lots and lots of places to pick it up. But yeah, I guess Spiegel is a, probably the, the richest, the most regular use source uh, for German press. I'm so thrilled to know that you're in the market for these funny little tidbits from the German news because I I have a personal archive of these. Oh, <laughs> oh excellent. I um, Again, mostly through my workplace and I'm skimming at least one or two newspapers, maybe not daily, but um, the, the local one to where I am in Freiburg is the Badische Zeitung. And I, so I, I totally know what you mean about like they're quite serious about everything. But the mm-hmm. trick I think is they do talk about ridiculous and funny things. They just do it in a super German way, i.e. they have (laughs) no awareness that they're being hilarious. So like the one that made me start archiving these in my own head was a very serious, very short, but very serious article about um, a dog who rode the train a couple villages over and followed this guy home. And then this guy realized like, First off, he thought it was weird that the dog was on the train, but he thought he was with someone. And then the dog got off with him. And then the dog kept walking with him. And at some point, he was like, dog, you're not my dog. What are you doing? (laughs) And it was just a little article about that. And then the police or I don't know, whoever came and and helped the dog get home, Um, which is just such a funny story. But they did Mm. not put much humor at all in it. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. You see that a lot. 
Definitely. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. Did you guys catch wind of the penis sculpture situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we Very did serious that. reporting about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. I think we did. We did two episodes on the penis sculpture. I believe <laughs> it's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> but I think that's the thing you see a lot of the time, and you see that in the media. And I think it's there's no middle ground. Like the British, the British will will turn anything serious into humour because of the adage that if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Which is, I mean, for the last five years, has been basically the mantra of any sane person has been like, well, we better take the piss out of this or else we'll all go insane. And, and, and you see that in, in sort of opinion pieces and you see that even in sort of straight news, there's like a tongue in cheek element to it. But then you see, in, like uh, there's a podcast that I've listened to a couple or tried to listen to. It's almost impenetrable. Uh, not to, not to throw too much shade, but it's, very, <laughs> it's a very successful podcast. So I don't think they really care what I think. It's called a young and naive and and it's and it looks like from the image, if you looked it up, you'd think, oh, this is probably like a comedy. There's probably a bit of fun here. Or it's a little bit funny. And it's like three and a half hours interviewing a politician or something, and it's just it's just bleak. And <laughs> and and it there isn't an attempt. It's all very sort of head, sort of chin strokingly serious, sort of very sort of academic or intellectual conversations that are basically inaccessible for the majority of people I feel I don't know like if you look at say Rezo on on YouTube like young guy talking about politics he's really accessible really engaging and this is like the opposite of that and but you see that through a lot of politics like you have this Target Spiegel um things that I've read over the through the election where they're they're making philosophical references and talking about Kantian ideas and and you're just like come on man like just tell us what you think you don't need to sort of you don't need to sort of go through your bibliography from your from your dissertation and tell me all the books you've read you just give me your opinion <laughs> which is what you kind of expect from the British media is just like tell us what you think whereas in Germany it's tell, tell us what you think in about 70,000 words but everything's terminally serious there's no like let's take the piss out of this or let's make fun of even with the um, the scandals around plagiarism, like you'd think that's fertile ground for just ripping the other piss. And you'll see stuff on, on Jan Bimmerman will say something, but then the rest of the sort of commentary are, are basically like stroking their chins and pondering what this all means for the for for modern Germany and what does this say about modern Germany? What does this say about about German politicians and like they're, <laughs> they're shit at writing dissertations? Like, <laughs> That would be my takeaway, but yeah. <laughs> well, and then I think it's also kind of funny. I've noticed just this week, and I can't remember if it was Focus or Spiegel, they were profiling one person, and I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't someone particularly serious. I don't know, maybe a footballer or um, an artist of some kind. And <laughs> they presented it as so-and-so, A to Z. And this is such a trope that I've seen time and again, where when they're trying to be more like laid back and casual, they it seems like they don't know what to do with that. So then they're like, <laughs> we will structure it with A to Z. You come up with one thing for each letter and then a short paragraph about that thing. So A is for adventures and here is the last <laughs> place I went on an adventure. And D is for dominating in football. And, and here's my best story about that. <laughs> and it's just so funny. I'm like, oh my, okay, you're you're trying to be chill. But it's very structured chill. Okay. <laughs> There's a reverence or at least a level of respect for the topic of politics that you don't get in Britain. 
like I feel people are more informed in Germany than they are in Britain. I feel people are more aware of international news stories or domestic news stories, local news stories. Whereas I'd be surprised if you asked the average British person, how is a law made in Britain, whether they would be able to tell you the process. Whereas at least Germany's not pretending it's entertainment. They're not mm -hmm. going like, this is this is entertaining. Look, here's Angie. Oh, Angie's here. You know, they always hear people talking about Boris. Yeah. Like, stop talking to him. Like, is he a mate? He's a, it's like, like at least at least there's that that element is something I can I can deal with a bit better. It might be a slightly dull, but at least at least they're, they're, they're treating it with a decent amount of reverence. I mean, the political satire that we see in, on British TV, especially, I mean, you do have publications like Private Eye as well. Yeah, fantastic. But if you yeah. think about Have I Got News For You, mm -hmm. um, things like that, satire is a really interesting way to get into politics, make it accessible, make it a little bit of fun. And I think that's really helpful. And in America, of course, a lot of this sort of political satire is with The Daily Show, with mm -hmm. Trevor Noah, uh, Late Night with Seth Meyer and Jimmy Fallon. All the, Everyone has commentary almost on a daily basis about the state of politics. Mm. And the only thing you have in Germany that's really anything close to that is Heute Show, which is basically Daily Show translated into German with the worst host. But I think it's a really good show for especially people who aren't from Germany to get your foot into the door on social issues and political issues in a way that isn't bleak. Uh, I, I can recommend that. And we do get some stories from there every now and again. The problem Britain's always had, Britain's always looked at America and gone, how come we don't have a daily show? And and, and you sort of have these shows where politics bleeds into the, the mainstream. And Britain, Br sort of British comedy and, and Britain has often asked that question, why don't we have that? Because they insist on... It has to be a format we've created ourselves domestically. We're not going to take this American import. <laughs> Whereas Germ what I like about Germany, and I mean, you said Heute Show, but you've got like Jan Boomerman as well mm -hmm. and there's some other stuff that they didn't piss about. They were just like, the Daily Show works. Let's use that format. Yeah, <laughs> let's just do that. Yeah, it's such a, an interesting balance to try to strike though, because I think it's pretty clear that the flip side to that in America is that is people's news source. You know, they yeah. watch... Yeah. John Oliver once a week and and they watch some clips from The Daily Show and then they consider themselves informed. Um, and not only is that a false sense of being informed, it's also extremely dangerous in that it feeds a whole ecosystem of creating celebrity out of politicians. So, I mean, I was a huge fan of or am a huge fan of Obama, um, but the celebrity of Obama is always a bit problematic to me because he's not a celebrity. He's a politician. So when he was off kite surfing after the election and the change of power, it's like, yeah, of course, it's interesting and entertaining to me. But also, I hate that. Like, I want to resist that urge. I, I want to not think about him because like, he should just be doing whatever. And we don't need to talk about it because it was his job. And now it's over. And I mean, if you think about that, like you're saying with with Angie, like if, if you can imagine, you can't even imagine her baking a cake because we there's not this personality to her, which is partially her um i think <laughs> but also partially the german media landscape that's not really i mean it i think it does doesn't it doesn't but not super giving into this cult of celebrity um in in quite the same way but but i agree there are some pros to the comedy show approach to news that maybe could be brought in to get people a little bit more excited and interested especially younger people it's far more accessible 
The problem is the media environment in Britain is just toxic. It's just a toxic mm. environment that's dominated by a Viscount and an Australian demonic entity, you know, like <laughs> and Rupert Murdoch. And, and so, like, I mean, people say to us, our oh, Axel Springer Media, which produces Build and produces oh, loads of different, uh, Velt, I think it is, so is it? Yeah. And, and loads of different newspapers, lots of TV shows. They've got the Build TV channel and stuff like that. And they go, oh, Build's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, but you've only got one of them. You've only got one thing to worry about. Whereas in Britain, you've got seven things to worry about. That's the thing is, is the, the, the time to deal with the issues of media in Britain is over. Like that, that died in about 1992, you know, it's not going to be fixed now. Whereas at least in Germany, you have a lot of different newspapers, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different political parties. Like the whole structure of how German politics is organized means that there's a lot of segments that people can be divided into. And I think it's Simon, you made this point of like the, the margins between parties is so small that mm. you can agree with them on some things and disagree on others, but there's actually a compromise to be made. In Britain, it's like Brexit, leave or remain. Mm. There's no, there's no like middle ground. They would disagree on the color of the sky. That's the thing I like about Germany is, yeah, it might be boring sometimes and it might be a bit stale and it might be overly serious, but at least, at least it functions. And also, I feel like they're so hesitant with social media. I mean, not entirely, right? But the sort of collective is less keen on it than the US and I think also the UK. And sometimes I think it's kind of funny when I see people like really getting onto Facebook lately. And I'm like, oh, that's like three cycles ago. Like, <laughs> we're, we're long beyond that. But the benefit of that is, yeah, yes, it still happens that the social media news giant mess is um it still exists for sure but also that is a bit less because everything's a bit slower and a bit more limited and mm -hmm. and like you're saying you have so many different sources like the the radio is still thriving there's tv mm -hmm. programs there's youtube there's um magazines newspaper actually i wanted to ask that do you guys um do you personally subscribe to any either print or online magazines or newspapers well i mean Süddeutsche zeitung Frankfurt Allgemeine. I think I discovered I've got a Tagesspiegel. I like. I just. I, I. I like to know what's going on. So maybe I'm better, more well read than I initially thought I was. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no one to compare. Simon's my only comparison, and he reads what I'm reading. So I just <laughs> yeah. assume everyone's the same. <laughs> well, but this is exactly what I wanted to to ask about because I also have this feeling. That to my knowledge, most people, most of my peers in the U.S. do not have any subscriptions to any news things. My, my parents' generation, and my parents specifically, subscribe to one or two papers. But here I have this feeling that just everyone's subscribing to a lot of different things. Um, and I can't tell if I'm in some way biased because, again, my job puts me right in the middle of this. But I do kind of have the feeling that there's slightly more participation going on through the individuals because, as we've said, it, it is very important to them. And, and the average German is very up to date on current events. I, I think there's a clear understanding in Germany that if you're getting something for free, then you're the product. And if you're getting your news from a source that you trust and a source you believe in, then paying for it is going to uh, allow that to continue. And I, I think a lot of people have just fallen into the, the nature of the internet being a free thing that I don't want to pay to get my news. And and yeah, that that can be problematic for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I used to have a subscription to The Guardian. It's still the paper that I read 
first is, is how I start my day and is how I end it is with the Guardian. And it's something I do trust. But of course, the last five or six years have, have made the relationship with, with truth uh, in the media very, very cloudy and complex. Uh, and it's very easy to get into a feeling that maybe you're being misled. But I think the in Britain, for years and years, decades at least, when once it became clear that paywalls were one answer to the to the issue of declining revenue for newspapers, there was just a, a massive, constant debate about: Oh, should we have a paywall? Oh, what if we try? Oh, what if people don't read it because oh, they won't pay for news? And there was long, really long discussion. And the local newspapers in Germany are thriving because they all just went paywall. We're going to have a paywall. And then people paid. And <laughs> that's why there's an Augsburger Allgemeine or a Nürnberger Nachrichten or whatever. They're, they're, they're going concerns because people actually pay for them. And they're not relying constantly on on having sort of big advert, advert campaigns or, or whatever or big banner ads. I mean, there's also a fact that the state is, is a real entity here. Whereas in the UK, the difference between where I live, where I grew up, Surrey and Sussex, is negligible. There wasn't really a clear distinction between those two. And I think the majority of people in the UK will read a national newspaper and local press has been decimated uh, to the point that it's basically just advertising services. One of my local papers years ago, the headline was, Local Man Dies of Natural Causes. Um, <laughs> that, that says a lot about how much power no. they have to investigate. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's not a lot of money in journalism, right? But the, no. three main, the three main news sources for British people are, number one's BBC One, mm-hmm. number two's ITV, and number three's Facebook. That says it all, really. Yeah, like, it's really scary. If you say the average German, where do you get your news from? Very few of them, at least when I've spoken to them or I'm speaking to, to classes and stuff, they won't. They'll be, they'll be in multiple different news sources. But there's very few who are like, oh, I get my news from Facebook. Because they're not dribbling idiots, you know? That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here's one thing that is, is very timely for our discussion today. The most recent Spiegel, as of when we're recording this, the cover story, it's a giant picture of Trump, and the, the cover story is his pathway to making a comeback, which is a topic. Like This is something that's been reported in, in various outlets. It's definitely a threat. It's definitely a topic. But the presidential election in the U.S. is three years away. So really, the earliest you could bump that up to responsibly, I would say, is two years. Um, there's no reason to be talking about it right now. There are things happening in Germany, like the you know, the chancellor is about to leave. She's been chancellor for 16 years. There's a whole new government coming into power. There's coronavirus. There's really any number of things. But they gave the cover story to the concept of Trump making a comeback in the US in three years from now. And that really bothered me because that is exactly how we can all help him do just that, is we can have stories on the cover, years ahead of time, preparing us all for that possibility. And I find this happens quite a lot with the U.S. politics in general, uh, in terms of their coverage in Germany, as well as specifically Trump. And I find some of the reporting about it fairly irresponsible and slightly as if they know better than to make a game of their own politics, but they kind of have to have their political funds somewhere. And and also, obviously, U.S. politics are very important and influential. 
to Germany. But I'm wondering for you guys coming from the UK, which you could argue has been similarly entertaining as of recent years. <laughs> it's not in, quite how I'd put it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a form of entertainment. Like, there's plenty to talk about and there's plenty of bad, difficult things that do impact Germany to be discussed. Um, but do you feel like the coverage of it is pretty even, pretty fair and responsible? Or do you, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm basically saying my my sense is that they somehow use U.S. and U.K. politics as their dance monkeys, you know, as, as their... Comedic role. output. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if you share that feeling. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been given the gift that keeps on giving in, in Boris Johnson in the U.K., who is just the perfect clown. Such a great way to, to look at England, be like, look at, look at what they're doing to themselves. And, of course, Trump is, is a guaranteed... If he's on the front page, it's going to sell because no matter how mad the majority the majority of germans think trump is is still entertainment and i think this is the issue that spiegel and things they they know full well that one of the best ways they can sell large numbers is to be as entertaining as possible and to tread that line between sort of hardline traditional journalism and talking about a clown uh, in, a, in a funny way is is a very very difficult path to walk for these journalists and these publications but yeah, I think we'd be much better placed if instead of Trump, it was Elizabeth Warren uh, being given this focus and attention. I think we could get more constructive conversation happening. Um, but that's not going to happen because she's not in totally insane. <laughs> I think I think Spiegel knows that they'll sell a lot of copies. The fact we're talking about it is probably one of the reasons they put Trump on a, on a front cover. But it's also because it's, it's objectively terrifying for a start. You can understand why it's interesting, but I think when you talk, when they talk, people talk about Britain, essentially Britain is a third-rate backwater nation. Like it's not, it's not America. It's not a, it's not a superpower. It's treated with the amount of reverence it deserves, which is very little. Whereas, I mean, Trump's Trump's just different because he's the scale is different, the importance is different. It's the slow car crash that everyone's sort of interested in. But there's another side to it as well, which is I think German people, I think, and I'll, I'll put that straight, I think white German middle-class men <laughs> like to believe they know a lot about America. It's a little bit jaundiced or it's a little bit lacking in detail or um, they just have a strong opinion and they've written a thousand words and so it gets printed. But even out in the world, people have always got an opinion about America. But as soon as you start getting deeper like you realize how little people know about what America's like, and and Simon Simon's lived there, and I've travelled there. But whenever you, one of these topics comes up, Simon would have a quite a nuanced opinion, and the person he's speaking to probably doesn't beyond Big Macs are bad or something like that. <laughs> I think this is the danger because as British people, as Europeans, we're raised so heavily on American culture, and it is aspirational culture for us. We all, even though in the UK we joke about America a lot. We all secretly wish that yeah. there were huge parts of that culture that were ours and we they, we weren't stealing them. Because of that exposure that we get on a, on a daily basis to American culture, whether it be music or movies or TV, we feel like we understand it really well. And it really wasn't until I lived there for a couple of years that I was like, and I lived in Portland, Oregon, which is a real bubble to unto itself. It is not a typical American city in any way, shape or form. And I was aware of that. So even my experience, I wouldn't ever dare 
talk about America and these sweeping statements, even based on my personal experience, because I know I just, I understand Pacific Northwest culture and not a huge amount more because as you well know, Nicole, America is a very, very, very diverse place and state to state is almost like a different country uh, in, in a European model, same language, but culturally well to part. It makes it fascinating and incredible place to live and travel, but also really, really difficult to understand. Um, especially if you're yeah, a white middle-class German journalist who's been to New York a couple of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think I can totally understand and key into why these things happen. I just think for me it's important to bring that into the conversation because I do think there's a lot to admire about the media landscape in Germany and the citizens' consumption of it. But I, it's not perfect. And, and in some ways, some of the flaws that I find, I think – go under the radar because a it just makes sense why it came to this point and b uh, yeah again in this case it's about the u.s and there's so much more to unpack with why the u.s is in the news and why we're on the cover so i get it and it's not a it's not a clear-cut thing but i do think it's important to say like you know when i moved here i don't know how it was for you guys but when i moved here i was like ah spiegel everyone's obsessed with spiegel and across many different viewpoints and okay so this is the go-to right and i have this high esteem in my head of spiegel and then the more time I spend with it, the more I'm like, it's nuanced. It's it's not all, <laughs> it's not all good. Yeah. And um, well, they've, they've had some pretty dramatic scandals in the past to do with like, yeah, well, journalists journalists just making up stories, just right? Like, right. Yeah. So <laughs> that'll do something to our reputation. But okay. <laughs> bit, yeah, yeah. before we get lost in uh, the latest scandal um we'll wrap it up. It is timed around the corner and head to home with the ending segment which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. So it's a rapid fire question round where I ask you guys three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. First question, what is your favorite board game? Risk. Uh, I, I don't know, Kaplunk. <laughs> Number two, it's fall. Everyone's buying pumpkins and doing all sorts of crazy things with them. Uh, what is your personal favorite way to consume a pumpkin oh i i I hate that i don't consume pumpkin what Uh, it's ornamental purposes only yeah in the uk it's not really a thing yeah but but you're in germany (laughs) i I listen to the shock in a voice (laughs) so my wife hasn't requested it so there's there's no pumpkin being cooked in my kitchen i am shocked okay well (laughs) sorry nicole (laughs) A soup, I guess. My wife makes a mean pumpkin soup. So, And final question. It is the time of year. The Christmas snacks are coming out. The Christmas markets are getting built. Which Christmas snack or item of food are you most excited to reunite with? Well, I've already reunited with a bit of Lebkuchen. Gefühlte uh, <laughs> Lebkuchen with the aprikosa, with the apricot jam. Uh, yeah, that's that's my current snack i wonder if simon knows what i'm gonna say i, I do know what you're gonna say what am i gonna say simon you're gonna say stolen of course i'm gonna say stolen <laughs> but it has to be done like i've got a i've got an ongoing semi i'm not sure if it's a discussion so much as me complaining that not more germ that germans don't toast stolen because it's oh. obvious to me that that would be the way and uh there's a there's a gentleman on twitter who suggested putting cheese on it so that's gonna be my plan is i'm gonna have uh cheese on stolen 
Well, very, very good. You nailed your Zach, 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 except for the part where Simon said he doesn't eat pumpkin. But other than that, you're great. Um, <laughs> we mentioned your podcast earlier. Go ahead and plug it and tell us where we can find that as well as your individual social media presence, presences. Presences? Presence? Pres- yeah. Pres- presences. 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 Sounds like, it sounds like um, The Hobbit, right? Or was it? <laughs> presences. Um, do you want me to do this? Go for it, mate. So the podcast is called Decades From Home. It comes out every Saturday around about three o'clock. You can find the podcast and Simon at Decades From Home on Twitter. And it's also at Decades From Home on Instagram as well, I think. You can find me at 40% German or 40%german.com, which is the blog and the home of the podcast. Thank you guys both very, very much for coming on. It was a really fun talk. Absolutely no problem at all. Yeah, thanks for having us, Nicole. It's been really nice. Thanks again to Simon and Nick for coming onto the show. Links to their podcast and social media, as well as Nick's blog, are all in the show notes, along with a link to the article we mentioned in the middle of this episode, which was the penis sculpture. Because, yeah, it occurred to me when editing, we didn't actually explain what that story was, just that we all noticed it. They talked about it on their podcast. So anyway, I linked to an article for the curious out there. In the show notes, there's also links to my social media. So you can find me as always on Instagram and on Twitter at the expatcast. And you can visit me online at the As always, I'm thrilled for every rating and review that you guys give me. So go ahead to Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice and leave me some stars. Thanks as always goes to Amy Lungy Art for the logo and Sidehug for the theme music. There on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feeds with a fun and funny episode where we talk about fun and funny things, namely comedy. Till then, have a wonderful week. Have a great start to Advent. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bis done. Tschüss.